Have you ever wondered, questioned, is Christianity real? How do we know it's not just all made up and all a charade? What's the assurance that our faith is true? That his death and his resurrection really happened? If you have asked that question, you're not the first. I have wrestled with it. Many have in history. The disciples did, even within a few hours of his death. Luke is answering that question in this chapter. And how did he answer it? Luke could have focused on the historical evidence for the resurrection. How do you know the resurrection is true? Let me give you the evidence. And he could have listed lots of proofs of the resurrection. One being the empty tomb. No one can deny that the tomb was empty. Those who deny the fact of the resurrection have tried several ways over the hundreds of years to explain an empty tomb, but none of those explanations are plausible. As if the tomb had not been empty, the apostles preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, well, the Jewish leaders would have just marched to the tomb, produced the body, and laughed them out of town. The empty tomb is a proof of the resurrection. The witnesses of the women in this chapter is a proof of the resurrection. You see it in chapter 23, 55, plural. They've all been to the tomb. They know where Jesus has been buried. And so in chapter 24, verse 1, on the beginning of the first day of the week, the women brought spices. Why? To alleviate the smell of a body beginning to decompose. Why? Because they're not expecting the resurrection. They were bringing spices to anoint a dead body. But when they arrive, they see the stone has been rolled away and the body is gone. And the two angels, the two witnesses from heaven, told the women, the resurrection has already happened according to Jesus' word. And the women left reporting what the angels had said. But to remember that this is a day when women were not considered trustworthy witnesses. Under Jewish law, women could not testify in court. But the Holy Spirit, in all four Gospels, has the women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. If the early church was composing a false account and covering the fact that there really was no resurrection, and they had said that the women were the first witnesses to the resurrection, that would have been the kiss of death to their story. Because the fact that the women were the first witnesses to the resurrection can only be explained in that culture in that time by the fact that it really happened. The proof of the resurrection was the apostles didn't believe. Peter, verse 11, didn't believe the evidence. That's because they weren't expecting it. They didn't make this all up because they really were expecting it and had to create false evidence, twisting the story, making it appear that there was a resurrection or that they were so wanting to to happen, they, they were so gullible to believe anything just to make it say, look like it was a resurrection. The fact that they didn't believe, the fact that there were skeptics like Thomas who had to be persuaded is actually proof of the resurrection. Or the proof of the resurrection that Jesus gives physical evidence of his resurrected body. In verse 39, he says, here, all five senses here, see, touch. You can't touch a ghost. Give me fish to eat. He ate fish. He's not just a spirit, not a dream. Ghosts don't eat fish. 
It was his body in which he was raised. You see, the resurrection is not just, quote, quote, a rich spiritual experience. It wasn't that Jesus was just alive spiritually in their memory or their influence. They're still in touch with him in a spiritual sense. The resurrection is not just a metaphor for a new hope and a new beginning. It's a fact of history. Luke could have listed many evidences. He had a very large research file on all the proofs that he could have mentioned. In his second book, Acts 1-3, he records that after his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men, that's the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. That word for convincing proofs means translated that which causes something to be known as verified, confirmed, and so it's translated as infallible evidence, decisive proof. He had a whole file full But that isn't what he's presenting in Luke 24. Do you notice not once in the New Testament does a person witness about the gospel by appealing to their own personal benefit or change or feelings. Believe in Jesus Christ because he's made such a difference in my life. He'll give you meaning. He'll give you joy. He'll give you fulfillment. Believe in Christ. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Nowhere in the Bible is the gospel presented in that way. It's, those are all true truths. But the gospel is primarily presented in believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, for peace with God, because it's true. Because of the historical facts and evidence, Christianity is founded on historical truth that the Lord Jesus Christ in history was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is returning in power and glory. But Luke doesn't focus on the evidence of the resurrection to prove that it's true. What does he do? How does he answer in this question? How do you know that the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? In this chapter, Luke 24, Luke gives us the answer to that three times. And it can be boiled down to God said it, that it's true. Luke gives three accounts in this chapter, and all three are parallel. Anytime the scripture gives you three parallel accounts, you should, that should flag something. This is a superlative. All three accounts are very similar. In all three accounts, there's people that are confused. They are rebuked for their unbelief. Then they're given an explanation of what God has already told them from scriptures. And fourth, then they leave rejoicing. All three accounts, those four things happened. Let's take each of them and look at Luke's answer, the Holy Spirit's answer to this question. How do you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Well, one, God told you in his son. Second, God told you in his word. And third, God told you in his son that God told you in his word. How do you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Well, the first answer is because God told you in his son. Jesus foretold his death and his resurrection. They should have recalled his words. Look again at verses 5 through 8. And they were frightened. There it is, the puzzling, the confusion, and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? There's the rebuke. He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise the third day. 
They're perplexed, they're rebuked, they're given an explanation. You should have remembered his words. He told you these things, verse 6. He told you that it must happen this way of necessity, verse 7. That's the same word that Jesus would say, you must be born again. It's absolutely necessary. And they remembered his words. How often in the Gospel of Luke we've seen this, that Jesus had told them ahead of time. Quite clearly, Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, Look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and mistreated and spat upon. They will flog him severely and kill him. And yet on the third day he will rise again. Christ's enemies remembered that he often prophesied that he would die and rise again. That's why they had the tomb sealed. The disciples did not remember his words. And Luke is intentionally, see, do you see? The only way to understand the event of the resurrection is to go back and to remember his words. You don't understand Jesus' words in light of this event, you must understand the event in light of his words. It's the same way we're supposed to live the whole Christian life. You must understand the events in your life by his word. That's the point of reference. You don't know how to live your lives. You don't know how to respond to trials. You don't know how to respond to dark providence. You don't know how to make sense of your feelings or all your trials, unless you go back and remember his words. That's your point of reference. How do you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Well, the first account is God told you in his son. He foretold his death and his resurrection. They should have recalled his words. And since Jesus prophesied that he would die and rise again on the third day, and that came true, then everything else he taught us is absolutely true. How do you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Because God told you in his son. And the second reason that Luke gives us in this account is because God told you in his word. And here we have the account of the two that are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them, verses 13 through 35. It's such a very vivid, detailed account that some have wondered, there's only you notice only one of the two is named, the other one is unnamed, and some have even wondered because the details are so specific, was Luke that second one on that road that day. It's the same parallel, four parts. They're in despair, they're rebuked, they're given an explanation from Scripture, and they end up rejoicing. And they are in despair, you'll see it in verse 21. Their hopes were for a glorious king. This Passover was supposed to be the time when Messiah was announcing that he was coming as the victorious geopolitical king. He was going to restore the theocracy. He was going to overthrow the rule of Rome. Instead, what they got, they got a mock trial. They got the scourging and the shameful death of Jesus. And all their hopes were forever dashed. What do we do now? I don't know. We're going to have to go back to our old lives. Our hopes are dashed and they're in despair Because of their wishful thinking, not according to the truth of God's word. Verse 16, their their blindness when Christ appears, they they don't see Christ. Well, that's the point. It's really significant. They don't see him with their physical eyes, but they don't see him with their spiritual eyes either until they see him from Scripture. 
You notice in verse 31, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from him later after this whole account. They do recognize that it's Christ, but there's no mention there of emotions. But the next verse there is, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? We have a similar idiom, lighting a fire under somebody. They're thrilled when? They're thrilled when they saw the the death and the resurrection from scripture. That was where they were excited. A fire was lit. Here is the resurrected Christ proving his resurrection to them from scripture. It's remarkable. Verses 26 through 27. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's the resurrected Christ appealing to the authority of scripture. You might think, here's the resurrected Christ. His work has been accomplished. He doesn't need the Bible anymore. All he needs to do is just do some flashy miracle and everybody will bow down and believe in him. Or what about just pull aside the curtain again and let everybody see what the three saw in the Mount of Transfiguration and his glory. Everybody would bow down and worship. Here's the resurrected Jesus Christ and his first passion when he rises from the dead is to cause us to understand the scriptures. The Bible's beauty, the Bible's truth, it's all pointing to Christ. He's authenticating his death and his resurrection from Scripture to those two and to the church of all time. The central message of the Bible is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's the written word of God. It's all that we need for salvation and for life and for godliness. That's why the Bible has to be our final court of appeal always in the church and in all of our lives and individual lives for our conscience and every decision we make. What does the Bible say? That's where you're going to find true truth. Christ appeals to Scripture to prove his resurrection. Let's push it a little bit more. Not only appealing to Scripture, but he, he appeals to the unity of Scripture to prove his resurrection. Verse 27, he begins with Moses. That's a way of saying the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And all the rest, called the prophets, And you notice how all is being emphasized here, verse 27. It's pervasive. Jesus is going through it all. Jesus is saying there's one uniting theme to the whole Old Testament scriptures. One focus. That's the death and the resurrection and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that there's just isolated texts here and there that show us the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, like Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53 or Genesis 3.15. Jesus is saying, no, it's the whole story. The whole thing is pointing to me. So the book of Ruth and the book of Esther and the book of Jeremiah reveal the death and the resurrection and the glory of Jesus Christ. The book of Leviticus and 2 Kings and Psalms and Isaiah and Joel and Malachi. Look for it. It's showing us the death and the resurrection and the glory of Jesus Christ. There's one story, one theme that unites all of the scriptures together. And that's what Jesus was teaching them on the Emmaus Road. Why didn't you see it? The whole Bible is pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Some time ago, the Smithsonian Institution published a book called The Timelines of the Ancient World, covering the great figures of history, such as Alexander the Great and others. There's not one mention of Moses. There's not one mention of Abraham. And not even a passing reference to Jesus Christ. Except all the dates in the whole book are B.C. and A.D. (laughs) Without mentioning his name, they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the center of history. The Bible, the center of the Bible is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in verse 26, was it not necessary? It had to happen this way. There is no other way for salvation except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting your faith in him, there's one plan of salvation from the beginning before time began. Christ is to come and to lay down his life for his people and all who put their faith in him will be forgiven and restored. There's nothing contingent about this. This is just one reason why the whole system of dispensationalism is is not what is taught in the Bible. They teach that God establishes these different epochs of time, and they're all contingent on the outcome. And they all end in failure, so God has to go to plan B and start again. The death of Jesus Christ was not an unfortunate event. It could have been avoided. It's the necessary theme of Scripture. It's the heart of Scripture. It's necessary, Jesus said. Scripture requires that the Messiah enter into his sufferings, that he might enter into his glory. Christ appeals to the scriptures to prove his resurrection. Jesus Christ appeals to the unity of scripture to prove his death and his resurrection. And even more, Christ appeals to the clarity of scripture to prove his death and resurrection, verse 25. Here's their rebuke. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Foolish or slow. New English Bible translates it dull. His rebuke is to believers. So it's, it's not unbelief in the sense of not understanding the gospel and But even believers fall into unbelief, don't we? And I I, I can't imagine that his reproof was crushing to them. But you notice his focus. He's rebuking them for their unbelief, not because they didn't believe in the physical evidence of the resurrection. He's not rebuking them because they didn't believe the women's report. He's not rebuking them because they didn't believe the apostles' testimony. He's rebuking them because they didn't believe Scripture. And Jesus' reproof is saying, well, the Gentiles, unbelievers, might be expected to not get it because they don't know the Bible. But you, Israel, God's people, my disciples, you should have known this because the Scriptures are clear. The theme of the Scriptures is Clear, Messiah must enter his death and be raised before he enters into glory. The reason that you're sad, the reason that you're discouraged, the reason that you're struggling with your faith is because you haven't believed the word of God. That's what we need to keep remembering when you go into those times of struggling, of doubt and fear. You're off track. Believe the word of God. And so when any time the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, 
You should go back to the Old Testament and say, boy, I've got to reread that again. Because here's a place again to see the death and the resurrection and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's not spiritualizing the Old Testament. That's not twisting the Old Testament. Jesus told us to do that. Go back and see. The Old Testament scriptures all pointing up to me, they bleed Christ. Anywhere you cut them, they'll bleed Christ. That's what Charles Spurgeon's counsel was to a young preacher. He wrote, don't you know that from every town and from every village and every hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there's a road to London. So from every text in scripture, there's a road toward the great metropolis, metropolis Christ. And my dear brother, your business is, when you get to a text, to say, now what is the road to Christ? I have never found a text that had not got a road to Christ in it, and if I ever do find one, I will go over hedge and ditch, but I would get at my master, for the sermon cannot do any good unless there's a savor of Christ in it, end of quote. How do you know the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely true? Well, God told you in his son. And if Jesus prophesied that he would die and rise again, then everything else he said is true. And secondly, God told you in his word. They, we, should have recalled the scriptures. And third, God told you in his son that God told you in his word that all this is true. Up to verse 43, if you look at your text, everything up to verse 43 is all happening the same day, Easter, Sunday morning, the day of resurrection, first day of the week. And then you notice from verse 50 and following, is happening on the day of ascension, which is happening weeks later. Verses 44 then through 49 it's a summary of what Jesus kept telling them over and over again from the day of resurrection to the day of ascension during this whole period. Again, verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead. Christ is opening two things here. First, he's opening the scriptures to their hearts. Third time in Luke 24. For 40 days, God incarnate, the resurrected Jesus Christ, is giving them a Bible study. Telling them, this is how you are interpret the Bible. This is going to be the foundation of your life. Verse 44, this is what I told you about. And he's talking about the Bible. Look at how it's emphasized, the written scripture, verse 44, 46, written scripture. He's talking about the Bible, and it's the whole Bible. Verse 44, again, another way of expressing the whole Old Testament, Moses and prophets and Psalms. It's vital for their faith, it's vital for your faith to understand what happened to Jesus Christ was not an accident. It's part of God's plan nowhere is the death of Jesus Christ an afterthought or a tragic mistake or unforeseen accident. He was delivered up according to the definite plan of God, Acts 2.23. 
He died for our sins according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15.3. The scriptures are absolutely true. Believe the Bible. That's how you know the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. What's the second thing that Jesus opened? You see it in verse 45. Beautiful statement. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He gives them faith to believe. This is, here Jesus is not just giving the explanation of the scriptures. That's what he's already done on the Emmaus Road. Now here's that supernatural act of the Holy Spirit when he turns the lights on. You really see. You really understand. God has given you faith. This is a miracle just as much as opening the eyes of the man born blind. You can't understand the meaning of scripture unless the Holy Spirit gives you that understanding and gives you that new heart to believe in Christ. God told you in his son that God told you in his word that this is all true. See how Jesus Christ is staking the truth of his death and his resurrection on the truth of scriptures. The two of them stand together. Since the written scriptures are absolutely true in all the details, we say they're inerrant, they're absolutely true in all that they teach, they're infallible. And since the central point and theme of the scripture is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then therefore the conclusion is... The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely true because the Bible said so. Your confidence in the truth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not primarily the physical evidence for the resurrection. It's there, and we're so glad it's there, as God stoops to our weakness. But the primary reason is because the Bible is true, and the Bible teaches the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore it's true. C.S. Lewis said, a man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Only God would say, all the scriptures speak of me. Let me ask you a question. Have you thought, do you sometimes think that, oh, my faith seems so weak. My faith would be stronger if I could have just lived during those days of Christ's earthly ministry. Or if I could have witnessed his resurrection and put his, my hands on the scars on his hands from his crucifixion. My faith would be so much stronger if I could have just had... That physical evidence. I think you see from the text today, Jesus would say to you, no, no, that's not true. Because remember, verse 12, Peter saw the physical evidence and still didn't believe on the basis of the evidence alone. Because he hadn't believed yet the words. And remember, verse 19, the disciples on the Emmaus Road had already seen miracles, the mighty deeds of Christ. And that wasn't enough. Even Thomas and the disciples, verses 40 through 41, didn't fully believe. You notice that? 
Verse 40 and 41, and when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them. So they're getting it. Not quite. They don't enter into the fullness of joy, verse 52, until after 40 days of having the Bible explained to them. And then they're full of joy. No, your faith would not necessarily be stronger if you had just lived then. Let me ask you another question. So are the historical, the factual, the rational evidences of Jesus' resurrection necessary for your faith? Well, it's a trick question, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you would say, yes, they're necessary because a biblical faith is not just a mystical feeling. It's not irrational leap of faith. Without evidence, it's not existential what's good for you and what's good for me. Christianity is not primarily a system of ethics or good morals. Biblical Christianity is based on the true historical facts of Christ's death and resurrection. It literally happened, and all the apostles went to their death as martyrs, and none ever said, well, guess what? It was really all a conspiracy, and that impressed Charles Colson from Watergate years. Because their conspiracy did fall apart within weeks to save their own necks. And he was so impressed. All of the disciples went to their deaths as martyrs. It's absolutely true. Yes, there's evidence for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you could also answer the question, are the historical, factual, rational evidences of Jesus' resurrection necessary? The answer is no if you think that you're at a disadvantage because you didn't witness Christ in person. Remember, not one of the apostles actually witnessed the event of the resurrection of Jesus coming out of the tomb. None of them did. They appeared later. And their faith rested on scriptures just like ours does. It's not like they believed by sight and we're called to believe by faith. They didn't believe by sight either. All of us including the apostles, accepted the resurrection as truth by faith on Scripture. And that's the great assurance of your faith, the truth of God's word. In Luke 16, we're given the account of the rich man in hell in torment. And he prays, send Lazarus to my brothers that they not not come here to hell. I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. Let them listen to the scriptures. And he protests. He says, oh no, Father Abraham, If someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. If there could be a resurrection and evidence of the resurrection, then they'll believe if they can only see the physical evidence of the resurrection. No. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if somebody should rise from the dead. You won't believe in the evidence of the resurrection. It's there if you don't believe the scriptures. 
because it's Moses and the prophets. It's the written word of God that teaches the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how humbling it is. We can't see it until God opens our eyes. How do you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true? Because God told you in his son. He said he would die and rise again, and therefore everything else he said is absolutely true. And God told you in his word. The big story. It all points to Jesus Christ. God told you in his son. God told you in his word. The Bible is true. That's why you know that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. Peter Stoner, in his book Science Speaks, attempted to compute the mathematical statistics if only eight Old Testament prophecies of Jesus Christ uh, were fulfilled in Christ. Only eight of the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in Christ. What would that look like mathematically? And he gave this answer. He said, well, that would be one in 10 to the 17th power, which is one over 100 million times 100 million. He tried to give an illustration. He said, that would, that would be sort of like, if you can imagine, the whole state of Texas covered with two feet of silver dollars. The whole state covered with two feet of silver dollars. And only one of those silver dollars is marked in the whole state. And then you take somebody and blindfold him and tell him he can walk whenever he wants, wherever he wants. But when he reaches down, he must find, he must pull up the one marked coin. That would be the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight Old Testament prophecies. Jesus didn't fulfill eight Old Testament prophecies. How many did he fulfill? Not 10, not 20, not 50, not 100. Jesus fulfilled some 300 prophecies. Luke closes his book to Theophilus. He closes his book to you and me. Since the scriptures written are absolutely true in all of their details, it's 300 prophecies pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And since the central point of the scriptures is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can believe that this is absolutely true because God said so in his word. Isn't that a comfort for you and me living 2,000 some years later? You can truly know the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can truly know what it was for. When you have someone that you're witnessing to and has doubts or questions about Christ and the gospel, with all confidence you can say, would you be an honest seeker? Let me give you the gospel of Luke. Would you read it? And pray 
that God will open your eyes. Would you do that? And you can have every confidence. Do you know that you are saved? Not from your feelings, not from your opinions, not because the church told you so. Can you say on the basis of Scripture that I believe that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. My hope is in the scriptures, what they teach me about Jesus Christ, and I trust in him, and I put my faith in him alone as my Lord and Savior. My goal of my preaching these 41 years has been that you might know the scriptures that you might know Christ from the scriptures. It's been the theme of the church for over 2,000 years, and for all the years to come until Christ returns, the truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're all experiencing the culture around us change fast into paganism. We all are anticipating difficult days ahead. But this message won't change. This is the message as you go forward into however many years you hold this in confidence. So I would join with the Apostle Paul when he wrote, and I would say to you, my dear brothers and sisters of Church of the Covenant, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we think of those two disciples on the Emmaus Road that they first saw Christ in the scriptures and their hearts were thrilled. And then you opened their eyes to see who it was in the breaking of the bread. As we come now to the Lord's table, give us eyes to see that our Savior is present with us feeding us and strengthening us and assuring us of the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, our Father, we thank you for this foundation that we have in Christ, that all this is true, 
according to the scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.